Talk 93.9 The Eagle, broadcasting live from the Zimmer Radio Group World Headquarters. This This is the CEO Roundtable with Fred Perry. Get ready for interviews with movers and shakers from our community as we dive in for a deeper look inside Columbia. Now, here's your host, Fred Perry. And good morning, a beautiful Saturday morning. Glad that you are joining us here. Uh, we are excited to be with you. We've got a great guest today. We are inviting uh, by phone line uh, Sarah Walsh, who is our 50th uh, district state representative here. She represents uh, uh, parts of uh, Boone County, Monotaw, uh, Cooper, I think, uh, Cole. Sarah, what am I missing in your district? <laughs> You've, you've, you've got Cooper, Monotog, Cole, and Boone. That's right. Okay, Our very good. Work. We hit them all. That's great. Well, that's a, that's a big chunk of territory, and uh, appreciate you uh, taking time out to, to visit with us this morning. Um, I was with you this week at a meeting uh, down in southern Boone County talking about uh, the Rankin Technical College project, and I thought our listeners would be interested in hearing more about that project you have a ton of stuff going on in your district but i want to start off with that project because that's a that's a big deal that you have been very active with um for uh you know the last uh, couple of years but but it's really picking up steam now so give us an update on what the rankin technical college project is so they're working on building a satellite campus of Rankin Tech. So it's a it's a technical school, and uh, they wanted to have an adult track and then basically a high school student track. So basically, you would have uh, students from the surrounding schools be able to attend uh, while they're still in high school and uh, basically get get skilled in a job that would be needed uh, in the area. And uh, you know, I know they're kind of fine tuning some of the details and the plans, but it would just be incredible because uh, skilled trade are needed in you know for the workforce and this would really and those are high paying jobs so this would be incredible and uh, you know they were able to secure a four and a half million dollar EDA grant and so they're just working right now to uh, find support to fill the funding gap of 1.7 million yeah. so that's where they're at right now you know Columbia has always sort of uh, and you know Boone County has always kind of turned its nose up at uh, a vocational education uh, you know we're very proud of our university and Stevens College in Columbia College, and and there has always been this attitude that kids need to get a four-year college education. But, you know, the truth of the matter is less than 50% of our high school graduates go on to a four-year college. And uh, if you've ever tried to hire someone to come in and fix your air conditioning or your plumbing, uh, you know that it's hard to find those folks in our community. And so uh, the idea of having a, a vocational college, a trade school based right here in Boone County, uh, is pretty exciting for a lot of people. That's right. And, you know, keeping jobs here in America, honestly, is a big thing. Uh, I actually lost a former job that I had when I worked at Maytag in Jefferson City. My job went to Mexico. And I know under President Trump, you know, he's working to bring jobs back uh, to the United States. And our governor's working to bring jobs to Missouri. So I think it's very important that we can, again, you know, in order to ha- keep those jobs here, you have to have skilled labor. And uh, especially in areas, you know, whether it's welding or whatever. And um, some of it you can get skilled on the job, but some of the more technical 
simple things you do need, uh, you know, helps to go to school for. And so I think it's a great asset in Southern Boone and we'll be honored, uh, you know, to be able to see that in the district. You know, it's uh, this is not just a pipe dream. I mean, this is something that's really coming down the pike. Uh, Property has been uh, acquired uh, for this uh, campus. Uh, Funding $4.5 million from the Economic Development uh, Administration. Uh, and uh, I know the county has kicked in some money, and the city of Ashland has kicked in money. So this is not something that might happen. Uh, this is, yeah, we're we're a little bit short of our revenue goal, but uh, uh, this is something that's going to really happen. It's, it's going to change uh, the quality of life for a lot of folks here in Boone County. I believe so. And, you know, there's more and more folks moving to Ashland and Southern Boone area. And, uh, you know, the, they love the school district and um, everything's, you know, it's, it's a it's a little bit less of a rat race <laughs> between yeah. living in the city. And uh, so it's it's a great place to live and, and raise a family and um, to get educated. So yeah. we're looking forward to seeing that happen. Well, this will create some uh, economic activity, not only in Ashland, but uh, throughout Boone County and surrounding counties. So uh, pretty exciting. Um I want to talk a little bit about uh, there's some unfinished business. Uh, this was a weird legislative session, thanks to COVID-19. Uh, but uh, there is some speculation that the governor will call a special uh, session uh, coming up. Uh, are you hearing anything from the governor or from uh, House leadership about a session? So I haven't heard anything officially from either House leadership or the governor yet, but I did see there was a news story. I think Missouri Net uh, ran a story on uh, that, that, that was done with the governor where he was indicating that he was going to focus on some uh, uh, some some crime uh, legislation. Um, so I I know that he's been touring uh, Kansas City and St. Louis, and and uh, you know he's been in in uh, various cities throughout our state and um, trying to find you know some he had some money. That the funding that he wanted to get for witness protection and uh, that didn't quite make it across the finish line. So he's indicated uh, through what I've read in the media, um, you know, that that is something he's going to take a look at. So we'll see, um, see when he calls that and uh, what time that'll be. I mean, there's a possibility, you know, it could be, it could run concurrent with veto session in September, but um, since we don't know yet, I mean, he could call it sooner. So we'll just have to wait and see. How much of a focus uh, typically uh, in the the state legislature is there on crime? You know, we uh, in Columbia last weekend, unfortunately, we uh, had a a shooting uh, incident where five people were were shot, two of them fatally, one of them an 11 year old girl, which is uh, as tragic as it gets. Uh, What uh, what typically uh, does the state legislature do when it comes to crime in Missouri cities? Well, there's a lot of different bills that we hear every year that are on various topics. Um, some of it is, can be funding, you know, towards various efforts. Some of it's more policy oriented. And, uh, I actually sit on a house committee that does hear a lot of legislation. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to, 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 to go through that process and handle that. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's just, you know, what can you do? I mean, anything from stricter penalties to, um, in some cases, uh, easing penalties. I mean, you know, are you looking at, you know, crowding prisons and then again, providing law, law enforcement with resources with, that they need, um, you know, pr- uh, more help for victims. So it's, it's a wide, uh, v- various uh, spectrum of things that we usually look at every session. And then it's just a matter of what makes it across the finish line. Now, I know that a lot of the Eagles listeners were at uh, the back 
Back to Blue, Back to Flag uh, rally that was held last Saturday morning on the Courthouse Square. Uh, you were one of the speakers. Um, and uh, one of the things that was talked about was this Back to Blue license plate that uh, a piece of legislation that you got across the finish line. Tell us about that. So one of the things when I was first running for office that I heard about from constituents in the district, and uh, my heart's always been with the men and women who serve in law enforcement. My parents were corrections officers, and my dad was a part-time reserve police officer down in uh, Eldon when we lived down there back in the late 80s. So my heart's always been uh, with our men and women in law enforcement. However, um, I also heard you know folks in the district telling me, hey, you know, what can we do to help our law enforcement? And so I kind of weighed on my heart, and as I was looking through our special license plates, I noticed um, in the list, and there's many different topics that you can get one for, but there was not one for uh, just strictly back the blue, and other states had one. So I filed a bill, and uh, we passed it into law, and it created the back the blue license plate, and so it's a specially licensed plate, and folks can go online to Department of Revenue and apply for one, and uh, you know, it just you can come up with whatever letters and phrases somebody else isn't using and put that on there, and uh, some some families have like their, their loved one's badge number and, and then initials on it and various things. And what was a great honor was the parents of here in, uh, in Boone County, Molly Thomas Bowden. Um, we lost her in the line of duty and uh, she's still remembered. Um, she's not forgotten. She's still remembered. And her parents uh, were there at the unveiling for the license plate. And it was a great honor to have them there as we remember uh, Officer Bowden and uh, we'll never forget her. And as we remember all of our law enforcement officers that have given the ultimate sacrifice uh, serving and protecting us. Yeah. So not only does it uh, sort of send a message to our law enforcement that they there are people in this community and around the state that hold them in high esteem, that respect them. uh, Is it also kind of a get out of jail free card if you get caught speeding? Does that help? (laughs) No, not at all. People have <laughs> joked about that, but no, not at all. You still need to follow the law. Wow. Okay. Well, shoot. I, I tell you what. Um, it's. Uh, I see a lot of um, people with gold license plates with three little uh, letters on their license plate speeding t- towards Jefferson City. So anyway, I guess um, it, this is not going to help, I guess, right? No, it, it, uh, it, it, it will not. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's uh, talk uh, a little bit about Medicaid expansion. That is going to be uh, on the ballot August 4th. You don't hear a lot about it uh, in local media. Uh, I suppose this is something that's going to sneak up on us. But um, talk a little bit about uh, uh, how this got on the ballot, uh, why it's on the ballot in August, and, and what does it propose to do? So this was an initiative petition. So this was um, uh, individual that basically got signatures and put this on uh, the ballot through petition. So this was not something the legislature put there. This was something that was uh, done uh, by an individual or group of group of folks. Um, and what this is going to do is, so we had a the House Budget Chair Cody Smith held a hearing where we heard from folks uh, for and against um, expansion Medicaid and uh, various uh, predictions of what the cost will be. Um, folks that were generally supporting it were, um, you know, talking about that. Well, it's not going to have that big of an impact. Um, and the state, uh, the state's figures, which they're the ones that manage the program here, um, there's predicted a pretty substantial impact uh, in fiscal year 2022 so this will be on the ballot august 4th and uh the way it got on the august ballot was the governor makes a decision as to which um uh election it goes on so so that's how it got in august but 
uh, that's it. So anyway, it's uh, the predictions that DSS gave us um, were in fiscal year 2022 would be 2.7 billion dollar uh, cost to the state, and of that, that breaks down 91 thousand dollars for other funds, 2.4 million in federal, and 167 thousand dollars in GR. So, and then if you look all the way five years out. Um, Three million uh, overall total, one hundred seventy-nine thousand of that being GR. So basically, if you add up roughly two hundred thousand dollars in GR every year, um, then that's about a billion dollars, almost a billion dollars over the next five years just of general revenue, and that's um, that's a substantial number. I mean, the four main points, um, and I'm a strong no on this. Um, after looking at these these details, and especially in the difficult budget times that we're in now, with all the impacts from COVID, people struggling to try to get back to work and to keep their businesses alive um there's this this is going to be another hit where i can't see any way around it other than a massive tax increase or that we're gonna have to cut services to free up the gr to 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 do this um the 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 main reasons uh main four points really against it is, is that one that i just mentioned and then this is i mean really summer's calling it dc socialized medicine because basically we're going to have the federal government that's basically going to be control on all the strings attached um, over all uh, so much of our of, of this health care and it's putting able-bodied working adults into the system right now age blind and disabled um, and 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 uh, pregnant women um, you know with uh, certain exceptions and things like that but these those are covered so basically we've got um, folks that are on this already that need it but this is going to when it puts able-bodied adults it's going to expand it and uh, to such a point that again like I said it's going to result in a massive tax increase or we're going to have to cut services. Um, so when you look at cutting services, well, where are we going to cut things? Well, things funded by GR. So, I mean, it, there's I don't see any way around uh, a huge cut to education. Hmm. And also um, pro-life groups and people who that's an issue for, and I'm strongly pro-life, is, um, is that it's going to fund abortion services So um, the uh, in our state through through Medicaid. So that's going to be a concern. Um, if you go to Missouri Right to Life's website, they have a nice uh, couple-page push piece on on what their opposition is and why they're strongly opposed to it. Um, if you look at the other states that have expanded Medicaid, already 14 states that have already expanded it um, have had either raised taxes, increased fees, or uh, cut provider rates. And mm-hmm. so the further along in time that states have dealing with this at first, um, you know, it sounds like a pie in the sky, you know, a really great, a good, a good deal, you know, 90% the federals are, are paying the federal government's paying for and 10% the state is so wow you know who wouldn't reach out and you know grab all that money you know Mm -hmm. but then once you get on the hook um you can't get you can't get out of it It, it's an entitlement and so you're stuck and then the state has to make up any gap where the the federal government you know cuts back on on the funding that it's putting towards it so um it's just i think a huge concern and so i'm strongly a no on it because i just really feel that um there's so many services um that we provide as a state um all every single year we we have folks that um for our district come and lobby for various things arts grants and and uh you know various different things that we do um you know ro- roads bridges education i mean all sorts of things that we have money going towards um correctional facilities you know everything we do as a state and if you're looking at things that you're going to 
cut. I mean, or else increase taxes. And I just really don't feel Missourians are wanting to do that. Yeah. So, when we come so back from this, when we come back from this break, let's uh, continue our conversation about uh, Medicaid expansion, which will be on the August fourth ballot. But you know, I, I think uh, you bring up some good points, and I want to ask you why there's not much word from the opposition on this we hear a lot from the pro folks but uh, when we come back we'll continue our visit with sarah walsh who is our 50th district state representative you're listening to the ceo roundtable show on hot talk 93.9 the eagle Center.com. He's breaking down what's going on inside Columbia. It's Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable Show. Fred Perry, your host this morning. It's a great Saturday morning. Great to be visiting with Sarah Walsh, who is our state representative from the 50, 50th District, uh, Southern Boone County, Monotaw, Cole, and Cooper. So she's got a big territory to cover. Um, we were talking about Medicaid expansion before the break. Uh, that's coming up on the August 4th ballot. You know, I'm starting to see, and this is fairly expected uh, around Columbia. I'm seeing a lot of yard signs uh, that are saying vote yes on, is it Amendment 2? Is that what's going to be on the ballot, Sarah? Um- that's right. Yeah. Uh, so I'm seeing the vote yes message, but you know, it's, it's sort of like the clean Missouri and some other things that, um, uh, have happened in the last few years that you really don't hear from the opposition on this. Uh, tell me, uh, do you understand that dynamic? Of why is it that we, we don't hear very much about the cons of, uh, the negative part of, of Medicaid expansion? Well, uh, you know, I've, and I've done several interviews where I've explained it. Um, you know, I can't, of course, you can't uh, dictate, you know, what all actually hits the airwaves. Um, but we, there is a, uh, if you go to noon2 in august.com, that's N-O-O-N, the number two, and then in august.com, there's a webpage and there's a group that actually is working to several legislators um, did videos, um, including our lieutenant governor. They have our governor quoted on there saying expanding Medicaid is a massive tax increase that Missourians cannot afford. So there is, including Missouri Right to Life, so there has been, and the Missouri Republican Party, actually, um, so there has been an effort, you know, from all of us to uh, kind of share our thoughts and, and, and get the message out of concerns against it. Um, unfortunately, sometimes uh, it, it doesn't make the news. Um, and uh, so it's great. Glad to be on your program and, and, and get to share this perspective for it. Because, again, this is going to be a decision that the people are going to make. And so I think it's important that they do see both sides so that they can make an educated and informed decision. Yeah. So give that uh, the, again, this is an initiative p- petition. This is being. Uh, put on the ballot because there was a successful petition effort uh, by some folks here in Missouri uh, to get it onto the ballot. Uh, the governor has assigned it to the August ballot. Um, that's a, the primary election for a lot of folks here in uh, around the state of Missouri. Uh, so if people want more information on this particular ballot issue, give that website one more time. Sure. No on two in august.com. That's okay. N-O-O-N number two in august.com. Okay, very good. Let's move on. Uh, I would like to talk a little bit about uh, sort of um, this 
this last legislative session and, and sort of some of the priorities that you have as a state representative. What are the things that you're interested in? Uh, what are the things that you're trying to push that you think we need to be doing here in uh, Missouri? Well, uh, so I'm so because it was such a weird session last session, um, and not everybody's uh, you know legislation got over the finish line. One thing I'm going to continue working on was I talked last session about was this uh, child care bill. Uh, basically, folks who have uh, child care facilities and that are licensed, many of these are small mom and pop uh, you know operations. Usually, it's a mom or a grandma, and so there was a law that was changed under Nathan's law that. Um, removed the uh, exemption where you could where you didn't have to count your own kids and so basically it's caused a hike in in order for these little guys to stay afloat it's caused that they've had to hike up everybody's fees of all their paying customers um, or kick kids out of the program um, to be in order to include their own grandkids and so uh, so I had a fix um, that I had put forward to be able to uh, work on that so I'm going to continue working on that effort next session um, to help our daycares because child care is a massive issue and it's actually become um, you know, even more of an issue um, as we move through into COVID and things like that as people get back to work and they need to find child care and especially if schools, um, you know, are maybe not open in some parts of the district. So anyway, that's one issue I'm going to be looking at. The other would be um, kind of watching what um, one bill um, that I had passed um, was, uh, or that I worked to pass was language to have a lodging tax uh, on the on the ballot for uh, the city of Ashland to be able to do if the people wanted to support that to help bring some revenues in for uh, Southern Boone because they are growing by leaps and bounds. Mm-hmm. And so that's in a bill that's not been signed yet. So we're kind of, I'm kind of watching to see if, if that doesn't uh, get passed because there's a whole bunch of stuff in that bill. <laughs> um, and so that's going to be something I'm going to work to uh, be able to file again so that the uh, city can work on, on that. I think that's a good idea. All the surrounding communities have lodging taxes. So that would um, allow us to get some revenue without taxing the, the unique citizens. The unique <laughs> thing about that is that uh, Ashland doesn't have any hotels or motels, right? Well, that's true. But um, but they're they're coming. They're um, coming. We are, yeah. And yeah, they're, they're, they, they, we will. And then the with it being a budget crunch, I think the biggest, I mean, the number one overarching issue will be the budget um, and, and, and how we kind of maneuver and navigate through this whole, uh, you know, COVID crisis, essentially. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, I think COVID-19 has sort of uh, made us uniquely aware of, and, and of course, you and I, because of the jobs that we do, we, we knew about this, but I think it brought it to a lot of more people's attention. But uh, really, the, the dismal state of broadband in rural America, and uh, certainly Missouri is no exception, even though we have received a lot of federal funding to change that, uh, we're really struggling. Uh, and so I know that a big part of your district is is rural. Uh, and so you are uh, probably hearing from a lot of folks, a lot of farmers, a lot of teachers, a lot of parents about broadband uh, in rural Missouri and especially in your district. Um, tell us, give us your perspective on that right now. Well, so it, it kind of depends on, on wh- which part of the district, because it's uh, it's a very complicated process as to who has like what rights to do what, where and things. Um, I do know we passed legislation uh, that would help uh, towards this effort and to be able to keep, I believe, more of the dollars that we would get awarded as a state for broadband, but maybe weren't all completely used for projects to use it for other broadband things. Uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Representative uh, Lewis Griggs, he had filed that bill and um, and I was over at uh, Como Electric. 
so not Columbia, Missouri, but right. Cooper, Cole, Monoton, Morgan, so Como. Mm-hmm. Um, they they do a, a lot of, uh, of of the fiber and broadband um, on that side of the district um, in in uh, in those counties, and they've actually been expanding and, and doing really well. So you know they're working on trying to expand into some areas in Jamestown, um, which is in the district, which is a fairly rural area, and uh, so folks are pretty excited on that part of the district. But overall, um, for other parts um, that maybe aren't being able to uh, get reached with broadband, I think it's going to be a hot, continue to be a hot topic. I think it's something that is bipartisan, and it's something that everyone is is really realizing that as much as we really don't want big government, um, broadband has become almost like I mean, electricity was back in the day, yeah. and it's something that is just in, essential for folks to work from home or uh, go to school online or uh, you know operate their farms. So much of the farm equipment is uh, it's like GPS, and they've got a lot of electrical things that yeah. I don't even know exactly what they are. But it, it, but there's a lot of reasons that they need to be connected um, in today's world and to do various things with their farm, uh, you know, to run their farms, businesses. So so no, I'm a strong supporter of it. I'm going to continue to do what I can to work with colleagues in Jefferson City on that effort. Yeah, I you know I was at a luncheon uh, this past Wednesday uh, for economic development and and. President Moon Choi was one of the uh, speakers. And, of course, the university is trying to get their head around uh, broadband throughout the state of Missouri through extension. But he was very um, he praised the work that you had done specifically on behalf of the university, being an advocate for the university, which is, you know, the big economic engine here in Boone County. So um, tell us a little bit about uh, the the university's uh, current uh, status and and, uh, the state of things. Well, I know there have been, I mean, you know, uh, there's had to be cuts, I mean, across the board in a lot of different areas. I know the university was was impacted with that. I do know that um, they're... uh for their uh, next gen that, that they're able to retain that but that's funding for that so that's good because that, it, it, being able to uh, you know work towards curing cancer and having that research done and then having targeted treatments for folks so that way um, you know you don't have to keep testing all sorts of random medicines and people have to deal with all the side effects and whatever um, and then you just try another drug and another drug and another drug for them to be able to figure out with folks um, genetic code and makeup what their predisposition to be able to need um, or not need, you know, what might harm them and then use that specific treatment. I mean, that's basically what that what they're doing and what they're what they're working on with yeah. that next gen project. And so it's honestly just incredible and such a such a gem to have it here in the Missouri area, as well as, of course, the, um, the nuclear reactor, you know, where they're making um Various ice, uh, drugs and 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 uh, or pharmaceuticals. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. isotopes. Yep. I'm not a scientist. Not anything close to it. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. it's uh, incredible. So no, yeah. I, I so I, we'll we'll see what we can do again as we move forward into the future. But like I said, then back you know to the Medicaid expansion topic that we t- talked about earlier is that you know if we're having to anything that we would have that would compete with <laughs> with the funding to such a great degree as that will um, would then harm our efforts as a legislature to appropriate um, funding to towards uh, places such as the University of Missouri. So I'd like to touch on that, the Next Gen Center, because I I think if our listeners have not seen it, uh, they ought to, the next time they're out on a Sunday drive, they ought to drive over. It's it's sort of uh, on the east side of University Hospital. I think it used to be parking lot X uh, for football games, uh, but it is, it is the construction project in the history of the university and uh, it's a pretty impressive uh, facility that's going up and and it's going to change the economy not only for columbia and boone county but for the entire state of missouri it's it's going to be a player you know 
Yes. No, it really will. Yeah. It really will. And, and, and President Choi, honestly, he has done such an incredible job. I mean, I've, I've never seen any leadership of, uh, of a university, you know, down at the, he is down at the Capitol himself, mm-hmm. um, as well as all throughout the area, you know, and uh, uh, bringing together uh, partnerships and, and, and uh, you know, various uh, groups together. He's very much a uniter and a hard worker. And uh, I think he's just doing a great job for the university. Yeah. Uh, before we get into some of the other uh, projects that are happening in, in your district, uh, and there is a lot of stuff going on. I want to talk a little bit about what you do when you're not in session. So this is uh, the generally uh, the General Assembly meets from January to May. Uh, this year was a little bit different. Uh, what do you do in the rest of the year that you're not actually in session? Well, I mean, you know, the, the the mud throwers will like to say I just like, you know, I don't know, sit, you know, sipping margaritas or something like that on the sofa. But uh, <laughs> what I actually am, am doing is uh, we get a lot of calls. So a good part of what a legislator does. So everyone knows, of course, the legislative side of things and everyone knows the session is uh, we've got a part time legislature in Missouri. Um, so I uh, I worked uh in a non for a nonprofit most recently i've done a lot of things in my life but most recently for a nonprofit i left that job so i could be a full-time legislator because i'd knocked enough doors and i'd helped enough candidates and i knew enough about government i'd actually been a legislative assistant in the past that i knew it was a full-time job if you if you really wanted it to be and uh and so and i want to put my whole heart into it and that's what it really takes i think to do uh you know the best job in this because there are even though covid has cut back a lot of activities in the district to attend there still are many things um, to attend. So attending events in the district and at those events is really when you get to hear from the people. And that's really when you get to hear what's going on. Most folks, I mean, there are some that will contact the office that will come down and visit that will uh, find ways to communicate with their representative. But most of the time it's when you go into the people's world, you know, sit next to them at a ball game or, you know, you're, you're out there in the district at the grocery market or you're, you know, at some event and at a fish fry or whatever in the community. And so when you're at those various events and someone comes up to you and they're at the same event in their busy schedule. And then they'll explain, hey, Sarah, you know, this is going on in my life. You know, I, I've got a, maybe it's a refund check they haven't gotten from the um, state you know, Department of Revenue and they don't know what the holdup is and they can't seem to get an answer back. Or maybe it's uh, they're having trouble with workforce development, trying to get, uh, you know, unemployment benefits. And, and the state departments are doing um, they've, I've had uh, a lot of great experiences working with them to help find solutions. Um, it's just that sometimes they get inundated by a lot of different requests, or sometimes um, maybe there is something that needs to be, um, you know, that they can work to improve on. And so then we work together and uh, find solutions. So that's what it is, helping people navigate their state government. And uh, that's it. and then finding answers. And sometimes it's uh, bringing together um, meetings uh, to, to, to make sure that people get their voice heard um, with, w- with whatever it is that their issue is. Or sometimes it might result in legislation. And uh, whether that's a bill I'm carrying or something that someone else is carrying that we just put an amendment on. So helping people, again, be represented in their government is the biggest part of the job. And honestly, I would say even bigger than, you know, than the legislation yeah, part. I bet job. it is. And you do an excellent job of it. I mean, you are uh, you are a, a real pro when it comes to constituent service. And, and uh, we find out about a lot of our problems uh, here in Southern Boone County from your office. So thank you for, for being so good to your constituents. When we come back uh, for the third segment of the show, we'll talk with uh, continue our conversation with uh, State Representative Sarah Walsh. And we'll talk about some of the things that are going to be happening in the next few weeks and some of the MoDOT projects that uh, you might be seeing happening uh, since Sarah has a direct link to MoDOT. You're listening to the CEO Roundtable on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle.
You're listening to Inside Columbia with Fred Perry on Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. And welcome back to the CEO Roundtable. I'm Fred Perry, your host. Good Saturday morning to you. We are now in our third segment with State Representative Sarah Walsh from the 50th District here in Boone County, also covering sections of Monotaw, Cole, and Cooper County. So a busy woman. Uh, we are, uh, one of the things that uh, you have, uh, I'm going to ask you to explain to our um listeners your relationship to the purse strings for uh organizations like modot uh and then talk about some of the modot projects here in boone county so talk uh, talk about your your uh, uh appropriations responsibilities with modot so as you know i serve on the full budget committee but then the way the budget committee is divided is it's divided into several different subcommittees as well so you have full budget committee meetings where everybody convenes but then in order to kind of chip away at such a big project as our entire state budget, there are uh, subcommittees off of budget on uh, that splits up all the state departments um, into those different subcommittees. So I am chair of the subcommittee on appropriations over MoDOT, revenue, public safety, and corrections. So those four departments are ones that we as a subcommittee have extra hearings on and uh, dive deeper into issues. And then those, the directors and the uh, liaisons to those four departments, I work very closely with all throughout the, the year in and out of session um, just to be able to be uh, abreast on what's going on and then I fill in the budget chair on what's going on in those four departments yeah. so that's that's yeah. what I do <laughs> yeah let's talk about MoDOT for a second and, and you know I got to tell you as, as an elected official I I have been very pleased with the responsiveness of, of MoDOT. Uh, they tend to get it. They want to do their very best. They have limited resources, as you know, but, but, uh, they really, uh, seem to be genuinely concerned with, uh, constituent issues and, and, uh, just doing the best job they can here, at least in this, this central district. But, um, talk about some of the MoDOT projects that, that our, our listeners will be seeing over the next few months. Sure. So one thing um, that is an ongoing project is in Boone County, and I'm going to just hit about five different projects that is the ones that they've had uh, either completed or underway this calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um, so on Route 63, Providence Road, they're making ADA improvements from I-70 to Route K in Columbia. Mm-hmm. That's a $3.6 million project, and it's ongoing. And they all that contract also included ADA improvements on Route 763, that's College Avenue, that they finished last year. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, U.S. 63 in Boone and Callaway. That work con- included re- rehabilitation on seven bridges between Columbia and Jefferson City. That was a $3.9 million project. The last bridge, uh, Southern... Southern, Southern Boone, Cedar Creek, was completed in May. Essentially, all work on this project was completed with the exception of a little bit of work remaining underneath the uh, Gans Creek Bridge. Mm. That SB there, so I guess maybe that's southbound. Yeah, I'm not southbound. sure. Yeah, you got it. Yep. And then Route HH, uh, the Hinkson Creek Bridge, they're redecking that. That's a $540,000 contract. And Route HH was closed on May 18th for bridge rehabilitation. And that bridge is complete and it reopened last week. And then various outer roads in Boone and Callaway County, they're resurfacing 37 miles. That's a $2.1 million project. And all the outer roads in Boone County have been completed, with the exception of the I-70 South outer road between the 63 Connector and Keene Street. That's 
that section is going to be resurfaced after the new roundabouts complete. And lastly, the fiber interconnect, uh, interconnect, fiber interconnect on routes 163, 740, 763, and B in Columbia. That's a $880,000 project. It started on Monday, June 22nd on Stadium Boulevard at Broadway. And these upgrades are going to help keep signal timing in sync for each of these routes. And once they're connected and online, they're going to allow MoDOT to respond quickly to signal issues by giving crews the capability to troubleshoot, monitor, and make timing adjustments remotely in real time. And most of the work's going to be completed from the shoulder. So I uh, asked them for an update uh, just today. That's what uh, they sent me as the latest and greatest information that they have on the X and Boone. It looks like uh, Central Missouri is getting its fair share of the MoDOT dollars. So, I mean, that's that's encouraging. And um, and certainly uh, I know there's going to be some work beginning on the uh, which started as the constituent concern and MoDOT responded. But the Soros overpass, uh, you know, if you uh, like to live dangerously, one of the, the fun hobbies you can do is settle on the the. Uh, Sorrels overpass and look through the pavement at the trucks, uh, crossing below on I-70. So that's, that's how bad of shape that the decking is on the Sorrels overpass. But MoDOT is uh, closing down that this week to get some work done. So, uh, Boone County is getting its fair share of MoDOT dollars and we're, we're excited about that. So, uh, thank you for your help in moving those dollars our way. We, we appreciate that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about Wayfair. Um, that is, um, some legislation that would allow, uh, governmental, uh, subdivision, political subdivisions like counties and cities to collect, uh, sales tax on internet purchases. Uh, one of the things that we have seen as a result of COVID-19 is that our local businesses, our small mom and pops have really taken a hit as people just basically stopped shopping. Uh, they did very well at grocery stores and Walmarts and Home Depots, but the mom and pop businesses in our community did not get much action during COVID-19. Uh, so Wayfair is one of the ways to even the, the playing field and, and start collecting sales taxes from some of these internet companies like Amazon and, and Overstock.com. But tell me a little bit about the chance of that even being talked about in a special session. So, uh, so special session, if it's called by the governor, the governor has said before that he was, it was on the table. Uh, he said that it was something he was considering. He's not yet announced, um, to my knowledge, whether or not that is something he would, uh, be addressing during a special session. Um, but it is something that I do believe that whether or not it is addressed in a special session, it's going to be something I believe that we'll see resurface in the legislature. Um, there's been various perspectives of, of, of exactly how it's going to be structured. I know Speaker Elijah Har has said that one of the uh, problems, if you will, is that we have such a, I don't know if he said the highest number of taxing districts in the, in the country, or if he said just a high number of taxing districts in the country, but either way, a lot of different taxing districts to try to figure you know, get that out, and I guess that's one of the main problems. Um, I've not been in the intimate details of it, because I'm not one of the crafters of the legislation, but I do know that it is something that we have uh, you know, spent a lot of time uh, having discussions on in both, uh, you know, the House and in the Senate. And it's something that I do imagine will continue to resurface because there's a lot of support from, like you said, um, businesses and uh, chamber members and the impact that it would have to our communities. And so I think it's, uh, you know, it's going to at some point, I think, um, be able to get it through. But again, you know, we'll just kind of see as to when that's going to happen. I have a few questions about COVID-19, but before I get to that, I wanted to um, uh, just kind of follow up for you. Just 
get a general idea from 30,000 feet, how well do you think the state of Missouri is doing with COVID-19? How well have we handled it? Uh, what have been your observations uh, as a state representative? I think we've handled it really well. I mean, there's a lot of folks in the district. And again, um, you know, before, uh, well, like Columbia is not not. Uh, it hasn't gone into effect yet, but basically um, folks have um, voluntarily, you know, when if they're, you know, worn, worn masks if they can, um, you know, use common sense. Uh, you know, folks are washing their hands. Folks are, you know, following all the all the, the rules and regulations. Um, I, I think that we've and you can see that the that, that, uh, th- things are that I believe it's made a difference. And that's why, you know, our, I believe our governor's opened the, the state back up and lifted the statewide order. And, uh, you know, we've, we have three of my four counties, um, Cole and Monata and, uh, you know, and Cooper are, are pretty much back to normal, um, you know, in a lot of ways. And um, people are being smart, but, uh, you know, they're they're starting to businesses are start to reopen and uh, things are looking looking good. Um I, I, I do know there's a lot of consternation about the city of Columbia's uh, mask ordinance, and I think the biggest concern there is the fact where they're regulating what you're going to do in your own home and in your vehicle. Uh, you know, if someone who's not in your household comes to visit, um, like say it could be a family member, but they don't live in your household, and so you're mandated and you could get fined yeah. if. Oh, say your niece or your grandkid or somebody, you know, well, I mean, under 10, they've got that, but, you know, somebody older than that. So that's the biggest problem is where, where, um, you know, safety is important um, and we do want to be able to be smart, but I just don't believe that the government should be making mandates uh, over people, especially in their private homes. I think that's, uh, I think that's, uh, that's overstepped it. Yeah. Uh, that, now that went into effect yesterday at 5 p.m. And so I'm sure everybody listening to this program has their mask on right now, uh, as they should. Uh, what what did, what did you hear from your constituents about that? I mean, you don't really have any control over the Columbia City Council. N- neither does the county commission. Uh, but what what were you hearing from your constituents uh, about the mask ordinance? Well, uh, you know, as, as pretty much as you can, as folks can see out, you know, in general on social media, you've got some folks that support it, you know, think it's a good idea. But um, most most of the folks that I'm hearing from uh, in my district are, you know, they, they, they're they're OK with wearing a mask. But again, where they're concerned with is when the government is mandating that you wear one. And like I said, especially in in your own private home. And that's where, um, honestly, that's something that uh, I think there'll probably be several of us next session. Take a look at our statutes because. Um, some of these authorities that are given um, are from the state level that are given to the health boards that then trickles down, you know, downward. And so some of these have been in in, in place like 100 years or so. And so I think that you'll probably see uh, several of us take a look at these and figure out if, you know, because you got to we, we do want to definitely make sure folks are safe, but you've got to also make sure that we're not trampling on people's rights yeah. and uh so I think it's going to be something we'll take a look at. Yeah. We've only got a couple of minutes left, but I wanted to kind of throw a, just an oddball left, left out of left field question for you. But the question is about term limits. Uh, now that you've been down there for a couple of terms and you had the opportunity to serve and you sort of understand the layout and the dynamics of the state legislature, are term limits a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion? Well, I think, I think to, so, I think like lifelong appointments maybe aren't necessarily a good thing, you know, right? Because I think that in, in any job, you maybe kind of get a little bit uh, less energized, right? The longer you're in a particular position, you know, mm-hmm. and so sometimes having a fresh set of eyes is good. Um, so I think term limits just in general, I think are, are a good idea. I will say though, that 
um, from the outside looking in um, and then now on the inside looking out, it, it, it is so much more complete. These issues, uh, the, especially the ones that come up every year that seem to never get solved, you know, yeah. Um, it's, it's not just because people are being slackers. It's because some of these are extremely complex. Mm-hmm. And if you make one decision, it's going to make other ramifications that are unintended consequences. And, you know, there's a, it's, it's very, very complex. And so by the time you listen to all sides and you try to weigh all the goods and, and the bads and the pros and the cons, and then, you know, and you kind of work your way through the situation, I mean, you know, then you look up and you realize, well, you're halfway through your, <laughs> through your term. So I think that, um, I think that it, it's probably a little bit longer term limits, um, you know, it, I mean, it wouldn't impact me, but I mean, I think that it, having a little bit more time, um, and then the other thing is campaigning every two years. I think oh, uh, yeah. is very difficult because you basically are essentially perpetually campaigning. And for me, it's not a problem because I'm full time representative. But for folks who are carrying a job, you know, and uh, have little kids, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, um, that's a lot to try to to try to juggle, and then to be out around your people. So, so that's just kind of a looking looking back, yeah. you know, from midterm perspective. Yeah. You have a good perspective on it. So, well, Sarah Walsh, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your Saturday morning to join us here on uh, the CEO Roundtable Show. Uh, thank you for your service to our community and, and the 50th District. So thank you for joining us. Good to have you with us. Thank you, Fred. All right. You've been listening to the CEO Roundtable. I'm Fred Perry. We'll be back next Saturday morning with a another great show for you. Thank you, Sarah Walsh, for joining us. You're listening to Hot Talk 93.9 The Eagle. It's my city, and I 